Welcome to another episode of the On The Way podcast, a podcast exploring a non-violent, non-dualistic, compassionate faith life. My name is Dom Fayow. Two regular co-hosts, Sue Grimmett and Peter Cat, are with me. Sue and Peter, thank you for making time as always. Uh, thanks, Dom. Good to be here. And uh, look, we're joined today by a man who it's probably fair to say is at the forefront of the emerging faith tradition globally. He is someone whose work has been opening doors for many who've wanted to go deeper than their faith community uh, that they found themselves in maybe has made space for. He is an author, a speaker, and a podcaster, among many other things, and his new book, Everything is Spiritual, is out now in print and as an audiobook. And to speak from a purely personal perspective to kick things off there uh, isn't really anybody else whose work has been as instrumental in a fundamental and foundational way in my own life. It's uh, probably fair to say that this podcast itself wouldn't exist without this man and his work in many ways. So with all of that said, it's quite genuinely thrilling to be able to say, Rob Bell, welcome to the On The Way podcast. Oh, it's great to be with you. Finally, here we are. <laughs> this is a real treat. We're coming to you Thursday morning, Australian time, Wednesday afternoon, um, where you are in LA in the middle of, um, of doing a whole range of virtual events for a book tour. How's that been for you? It has been wonderful and here's why generally you start doing around a new work like a new book and within a couple of interviews i always joke to my wife Kristen, okay i figured out the seven questions <laughs> like there's like a cluster of questions and then there's the occasional what's your shoe size what's your favorite kind of taco but otherwise <laughs> there's like a like a body of questions that just seem to follow it around and it doesn't matter the country the setting this book is like just throw a rock in the air and see where it lands. It is, obviously it's a narrative. It's like unlike anything I've done up till now, but it's been so deliriously fun uh, to see what people want to talk about. So you three, I have such a, yeah, such a blank slate, such a, we'll see where it goes. Those who, who might be watching the video of this will already um, be aware of, of another guest who's jumped into the podcast as well, talking about the, the multiple directions the podcast could go. As we have started recording today, Rob, you've, uh, you've added your, your son Trace into the, into the Zoom chat as well. I wanted to I'm join. Going. I requested to, to join this one. When I saw non-duality, I was like, oh, this is going to be good. So, <laughs> you wow. all, of all the list, there was like two or something that he was like, oh, I would love to listening on that one oh. and he's like do you think they'd be up for it i was like they're australian they're up for everything <laughs> well we are honored and hopefully we can live up to the uh the non-dual framework <laughs> we'll very we'll do our best at least rob i, I want to uh, i want to ask about the i guess the title of the book because everything is spiritual is it's like a it's it's an idea you have returned to um yeah. quite a bit in your work i think the first tour was about a what a decade ago a bit more than that and then 2006 14 yep. years ago and then was there a, a 2016 updated version um yes and now the the books come out is this kind of your life thesis everything is spiritual yes at some point you realize it's 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 all variations on a theme that you only at some point you realize you have one sermon <laughs> and you just keep giving it from a different angle and i and i think just this idea in modern culture that there's economics, politics, religion, science, art, and then there's this other slice of the pie called spiritual is it's literally killing everybody because it cuts people off from the depths of this experience we're having. You think about the Eucharist, this bread is holy, this wine is holy. 
because all bread is holy, because all wine is holy, because all of life mm. is happening in a temple. Mm. Yeah. And you just think about what happens when things get cut off from their depths. Even the idea of sin means separation. You're separated from the depth. Um, so if there is economic destruction, it's because how we handle the economy has been cut off from heart and soul and compassion. And you know what I mean? Like it's all connected. There's depth to all of it. And at some point uh, you just realize, oh, this is what I've been doing the whole time. And there was a very satisfying moment of I take such great joy and new titles, preferably weirder and stranger with each progressive thing I do. But this title, no, this is what it is. So just call it what it is. <laughs> Well, it was it's a, a brilliant book. We've um we've all had a chance to to read it, and I've got to say it's it's very unique in its style, in the sense that it's part memoir, it's kind of part foundational document as to what it is to be a human. I I kind of I love that the way you introduce yourself in the book. You said the way you'd like to be introduced is saying, um, you're somebody who helps people see the awe and wonder in their own lives, and and that being a, a framework, a vocational framework is maybe as good as it gets. What, what what was it like? I guess, how did the this the book in its form as it is now come about? Because it does, the first half does feel like a memoir and, you know, then it sort of, <laughs> it spreads out beyond that. Good, 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 good. Right away, when I realized, oh, there's no chapters in this, there's no table of contents, it just starts going. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, oh, it starts to loop back on itself and then repeat itself. And it takes like that sex turn at the end with your father and mother is like a right. Oh, and then there's a couple of times when there's like three or four stories told together that are loosely affiliated with each other. It's like, Oh, it's, it feels like life. Like it stops mm. and starts it lurches. Originally it was going to be everything is th spiritual three, like the tour. But then I kept thinking, but where did these ideas come from? How did I come to this? And I, it's almost like I could see, I come from a lineage that's trapped in its own head. It literally used the word orthodoxy without the word orthopraxy being duct taped. So it, it was so stuck in its head. And in my own life, this gradual, almost like head sinking down into heart. Mm. And what became incredibly interesting to me was where does this come from? Because whenever you meet somebody with a strong opinion and they keep insisting these are just the facts, no, 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 something happened to you. That's why you mm. see it this way. That's why you hold that. There's a story in there. And that just became really, really interesting to me is double down on the particulars of your own existence, what it's like to be Rob Bell, trusting that other people will find themselves in that. And that became like almost like the heart tone was if I go far enough inside me, I'll find all of you. If I go far enough inside you, I'll find me. So just tell them what it was like and what you learned and what happened next and trust that if we open our hearts to each other, something new happens. That's what mm. it felt like. Yeah. 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 And all of those stories are couched in the, in stories of other people too. So, you know, there's a sense in which you become yourself because of all the other people who've been part of the story. Yeah. So there's this amazing network of uh, interconnectedness that makes you you. And just imagine if your grandma hadn't been 
you just you couldn't even imagine who you'd be because you know she's right. part of who you are. Yeah, right. And this sense that I could see these people like each of them give a different gift, hmm. and that we end up who we are. We we come from places, but we come from people. Hmm. Absolutely. And I've just I'm sure with you, I've interacted with so many people who were at odds with their own story Mm. they didn't know what to do with that embarrassing incident that um upsetting relative that period of time where if you show them a picture from that period of time they wince um but the invitation is to own every square inch of your story Mm. Uh, absolutely and all the bad stuff that's the stuff that always draws us to each other yeah i found that's one of the blessings of children that um uh, we have to uh, own previously um, not helpful relationships because the kids are the product of those relationships. So you can't just you can't just wipe wipe it off because otherwise you would be wiping off your kids. Right. Then you'd be wiping yourself out because one is who one is because of one's kids. So there's this whole complex of having to go back and and own stuff that one would sort of like to walk away from. It's uh, it's a very um, the web of life gives us incredible gifts in its own. Yes. Without, without us, um, it just gives them to us. If we reflect, then we get the riches of, of that gift. Mm. Yeah, there's this fascinating word in Ephesians chapter 1, all things will be summed up in the Christ. And this anakafelustestai, this Greek word that's very hard to say, is almost like an ancient mathematical term. <laughs> and Paul seems to be speaking of history, like it'll all be gathered together, or some translate it recapitulated, retold. What I think is so fascinating is that's never the removal of chunks of history. Mm. It's the summing up yeah. of the whole thing. It's the retelling of all the bits and pieces, not the removal of certain bits and pieces, yeah. which... Obviously, I mean, the Holocaust, it raises very troubling sort of mind-bending questions, but mm. does all of it at some level belong, even if it's, even in its injustice and pain mm. and torment, does, does it all get retold at some level? Well, it Which, is. It, it is what it is. It's, uh, as I was thinking about your title, um, it, it, it seemed to me that you were even saying more than everything is spiritual. You were basically saying everything is and there's a spirituality that goes with that. Yes. Mm. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I could have saved a word. Yes. <laughs> Would have met you sooner. Everything is. It's a, it's interesting, Rob. I know that um a, a theme we've come back to on this podcast a lot. Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure where the this particular theme came from. I know Sue is the one who brought it to my attention. But is the phrase that the job of, of people, if you want to say of faith, of spirituality, I mean, the words are never really enough, but the job of, of these people is to re-enchant the universe, to kind of, you know, bring the magic back out and make the whole place glow again. And show, well, not, not that it ever stopped, but show people how it already is. And it seemed to be reading the book, reading everything is spiritual, that, that your life work is really what we've been speaking about of re-enchanting the universe. <laughs> I, I literally, the, the book is just a whole series of disjointed, embarrassing stories at some level. <laughs> I, because I, I always noticed when I met the people I admired, when they told me 
the ease and flow and how awesome they are, that was never interesting to me. But when they would tell me about their car breaking down and people not understanding what they were trying to do, that was all the stuff that helped. Mm. That was what re-enchanted it for me. <laughs> yeah. The wonder and awe that they kept going. Um, so I just noticed again and again, somebody would tell a story about things going wrong and yet they kept going with this sense of, so I kept going. That was always what mm. re-enchanted it for me. I know that um, yeah. fundamentally, you know, it, it the book I feel it's kind of like trying to tell an alternate narrative. It's it's trying to to say you've been told one thing, but there's more. There's more. You know, keep reading. You know, keep. Oh, you have heard it said, <laughs> yeah. but I tell you. Yeah. Yes. Precisely. You but like I, that, Sue? You're nodding like your head that. at that one. I, I may have heard that before somewhere. Someone. <laughs> right. Someone important said that. Right. Um, I I love that in the rabbinic tradition, though there would be the worldview, the way that things were interpreted. And then a, a rabbi would come along with a new yoke and say, you've heard it said, mm-hmm. but I tell you, like, I know this is the interpretive lens you've been using. I'm just asking you to take off your glasses and put on these because they're better. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very straightforward thing. There's nothing like sort of duplicitous about it. It was very yeah. straightforward. And I suppose it's interesting. I know that, that you, and I've heard your latest podcast, you kind of attribute the, the transcendent include idea to Ken Wilber, um, you know, and the work that he's done on that particular front there, but you, you kind of embody it in the, the way you tell your own story. And I know that a lot of people who hear this podcast, uh, you know, who, who have gone through different faith traditions. We've had my dad on the podcast who was a Baptist minister, kind of left all that and, and now runs Richard Rawls men's work in Australia. We've had so many people come through who have been through an experience of, I believed this, this happened, and and now I see it all differently. I guess yeah. the, the thing I'm curious to ask you is, as you recount your own story and and maybe look back at the more painful um, sagas and the parts of yourself that, that maybe once believed something that now you might consider, I don't know, maybe not abhorrent, but, but just think, oh, I missed the point so drastically there. How how do you include that into the holistic image of Rob Bell? I never beat myself up over that. Like, how else does it work? Like, I was talking <laughs> to this guy recently, and he was like, why is growth so hard? And I, w- I said, did you have some other experience that you're comparing <laughs> this to? <laughs> were, you, were you somewhere else? <laughs> like, like, fine, it's hard. I'm not arguing with you on that. I'm just saying compared to what like even the even the the presupposition that somehow this is a thing you know what i mean mm, mm. like like your your dom your consciousness your awareness you're taking this whole experience in you can you can explain this in any way or then you take our, all the lovely scientists who are now in in great consensus that 13.8 billion years ago there was a point of infinitely compressed mass that exploded into particles. And we just listened to that like, great, you want a sandwich? <laughs> Instead of, what the? Yeah. So yeah. I always, uh, I, I always try to come back to, you haven't been Rob Bell before. Um, that's why in the book I talk about blessed is the one who's in on the joke. Mm. This is your first crack in this skin bag, as far as we know. <laughs> so... Um, there's two responses to your question. One is, I can't believe I ever believed that. But anytime somebody is beating themselves up over that or feels shame, 
I say to them, so you still see the world that way? And they say, no, of course not. Well, instead of shame, how about gratitude then? Mm. Mm. How about, uh, how about, oh, thank God I saw something different. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I know a question, well, there's a question you, you ask off the back of that. It's kind of the foundational question. Maybe the book is, is answering, which is what kind of a universe do you think we're living in? (laughs) Which I just, I love that question. And it's one of those things that, that feels foundational. It feels like one of the questions that, um, you know, should be the starting point for so many of these discussions, but where we're all kind of indoctrinated into something. We're all raised with a certain way of thinking that we kind of never get to even start at square one and ask the question, what kind of universe do you think we're living in? So I want to ask you that question, Rob, what, what kind of universe do you think we're living in? I think any discussion about the word God should begin with that question, especially mm. in the modern age with the word God has gotten so much stuff attached to it. Mm. When a word, when you have to add other words to a word to clarify what you mean, then that word has lost its distinctive naming power. Mm. Um, even in the Bible, Yahweh, Elohim, Theos, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, like what, what, um, the naming of the ultimate keeps getting renamed because certain words don't work anymore. So I I begin with, is it a generative universe that just keeps making more that's new? Because it is. Um, And that generally in our deepest selves, we're either operating from a place of scarcity and lack or a place of generative abundance economics, politics, relationships, um, how we take care of our body. That's a very subtle energetic shift deep in the chest between scarcity and lack or abundance. The biblical word is justice, which just is enough for all. Um, So I think that question is actually the question. Mm. I think you start there. Um, Is there enough for everybody? Which means is there enough for you? Because if how you answer that sets you, it's like there are these deep primal questions that shape the entire experience we're having. Yeah. I I actually think that that's something that you've done very well, Rob, is help with the renaming. Um, Because many people feel that what the church is saying or what Christianity is saying is that you're not enough, is that you don't have enough. And um, that sense of who they name as God, um, that word God has become almost useless in, in many contexts because people presume that their own experience that they do know of life and abundance has that they've encountered somewhere in their journey has nothing to do with that word God. And I think that's that's one thing that this book and that your other work has done is to help people connect that to their own experience and go, oh, actually, you know, there, there's, I can join the dots across there that that's actually, um, that that understanding of God that seemed to be saying you're not enough or you need to be different is is actually not what we're talking about here when we talk about God. Right. And I'm sure you've interacted with countless people who you begin to ask them about the experiences they've had of life, unmediated, unvalidated or affirmed by any family system or institution or such. How often people tell stories of wondrous provision. Like, yes. And then I Weirdly enough, I was sitting by the side of the road and my car is just a mangled pile of metal and suddenly I become overwhelmed with, I'm okay, I'm alive, I'm here. I'm having this, just how many times I've met people who 
where God was in this place and I, I wasn't aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet they weren't in settings that, that were very active and saying to them, yes, of course, that's an experience of the divine. Yes. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Who else? Who else? What else is the engine of this whole thing? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. I know that um, I briefly mentioned Ken Wilbur earlier. I know reading the his spirit work... of Ken, the spirit <laughs> of Ken is upon us. <laughs> well, I know that in his work, he he does speak about, I guess the we the the various mechanisms with which humans can develop, grow, whatever, and and he he right. speaks about growing up, showing up, cleaning up, these sorts of things. But how we don't have much space in the world we're in right now for the waking up. And the waking up is the first and foremost task, the waking up to what actually is going on here and, and what really is the core engine, you know, of, of the thing. So, you know, I guess is, is that sort of in a sense, well, I, I guess there's a, there's a difficulty in my question because I want to ask you, is that what you see the work as being, is helping people wake up? But you also do speak in the book about giving up on this idea that you need to move people from one place to another place, that <laughs> that actually isn't the job. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just I'm curious oh, how you tie that good. together. What what you what stumbled you into the con- <laughs> you stumbled into the contradiction and paradox. So I did my job. Yes. <laughs> well, definitely to what Sue was saying. Any system that tells you you're here, but if you could just get over here, then you'd be okay. You know what I mean? Then you'd get the points. Then you'd be loved. Mm. Um, so in that sense, I'm trying to trying to rescue people from a spatial. If I could just get somewhere else. Um, the kingdom of God is within you. The, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, mm. right where you are. It's an opening up and an awareness and having your eyes, a Eucharistic eyes opening to the depths of all of life, to the Christ in all of it. Um, so yes, at one level, you're trying to rescue people from the idea that it's over, you know, like Moses, it's not across the ocean or up on the mountain. Um, and I think a lot of people that's, the experience they've had is they were told if you would just do this, then, um, and that's, that's probably, that's actually the word for that is law mm. as opposed to gospel. Mm. So yeah, uh, in some senses underneath everything is don't do a thing. Don't do a thing. Mm. Just accept. Uh, was it Tillich talks about accept that you're accepted? Yeah. It's, uh... it's almost like there's two sermons. The first sermon is don't do a thing. Just take a breath. Everything you ever needed is right here. Whatever you do, don't move. And then the second sermon is, do we have that sorted? Great. Now, what do you want to do? <laughs> Who do you want to help? Who do you want to help? Anybody you want to serve? You see any needs? Anything make you angry? You'd like to go help try and fix? Great. Um, oftentimes, sometimes we need the one sermon. Sometimes we need the other. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I mean? It's almost like two words awareness and action and they have like an arrow that goes to the one and then an arrow from the other back to the other and sometimes you need one let's go do this and sometimes you need hold on sabbath we're yeah. good and there's something there's something dynamic about this there's something very Absolutely. active and alive and and i know Absolutely. that um you know it's it's a temptation i guess there is a human temptation to lock things down people love the idea of security love the idea of you know, oh, you know, if if you could guarantee to someone you won't have financial stress the rest of your life, anyone would love <laughs> to jump at that. That would be a dream. <laughs> but actually, this desire to lock things down is actually counterintuitive to the dynamic spirit process that you're talking about, isn't it? Oh my goodness, you're reminding me of this guy that I met a couple of years ago. 
He's sitting on a beach. He had sold his company for several hundred million dollars. Doesn't have to work a day in his life. Buys a beautiful home overlooking the ocean. He's sitting on the beach in a swimsuit. And he says to me, I'm so bored. (laughs) (laughs) And I just am so struck with, if it's true, it'll probably be some dialectic, some dialogue between two things, known and unknown. Do nothing, go do something. Mm. Feasting or fasting. Mm. Um, That if it's true, it'll probably not land you on one template that covers it all, but it'll probably land you on a polarity that you're constantly moving back and forth. In some ways, fundamentalism is the failure to embrace the dynamic tension at the heart. Yeah, that's how heresy works too. Heresy is to is to embrace one extreme of something that should be held in tension. So, oh, that's such a good way to think about it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. This this is a dynamic back and forth. In the moment you freeze it at either side, you have missed the the energy that's actually underdoing undergirding the whole thing. Oh, that's well said. So your use of the word dialectic is really important because that's how you overcome binaries is to actually see see what you think of binaries actually in some sort of dance, sort of like a cosmic dance. Uh, and every time you think you've got it sorted, the dance moves on to the next sort of movement. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've often, I've told the story a few times that I was in a bookshop at uh, Noosa on the Sunshine Coast here in Queensland. I was at a bookshop on holidays a few years ago. And I saw this book on the shelves. I didn't, I never bought it. I just saw it as I walked past the bookshop was shut, but the title was every time I find the meaning of life, they change it. And I, <laughs> I remembered walking past and just laughing at that title and thinking there is something, there's something so inherently true to that. And this yeah, feeling totally. that, that yeah. it just keeps moving and changing and this desire to just have it and know it. And, you know, put it, put it in a room or in a safe that we can lock and know that it's always there and we can always come back to it anytime we need a little bit more of it is actually yeah. counterintuitive to the thing. Yeah. And if you live that way, the, the, the spirit is just going to keep moving. Yeah. It's a process, not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, Rob, that that's come out, you know, in, um, in your work in a bunch of ways. I remember hearing you speak a while ago uh, about how the tradition actually is about asking questions and the tradition actually is about wrestling with this and tradition is actually about having dark nights of the soul where nothing makes sense and you don't know what's happening that's not that's not you failed the tradition or you're you're not doing the tradition well you've missed out that's you are deeply you're in it you're doing this well yeah welcome to the welcome (laughs) welcome (laughs) i remember when i was in my early 20s and a friend of mine says you realize that every time Jesus is asked a question, he pretty much every time responds with a question. Yeah. How do you interpret it? How do you see it? How do you read it? What do you think? That there is this intellectual rigor mm. that is part of it and that the question is actually a statement about what kind of universe you're living in a question implies there's more it act, it has a humility and an openness energetically within it um which is all where the interesting stuff comes from but i remember my early 20s realizing that 
that the questions were actually how the whole thing works. And I was just, oh, I just remember just thinking, yeah. I knew it. I knew it. <clears throat> as, Rilke yeah. says, as Rilke says, live into the question. Live, mm -hmm. live, live, living the question. Don't, don't try to answer it. Just live deeper and deeper into the question. Right. Right, yeah. and if you get some answers, that's fantastic. They'll yeah, just raise yeah. another set of questions. But live, live, live a bit further into the question, you might come up with a different answer. Yeah. <laughs> well said. Yeah, Rob, I, I think a lot of clergy people, in your book, the one thing that taps into that is how clergy people are not meant to have questions. You know, there's this sense in so much church culture that the clergy person's supposed to be with the one with the answers, you know, and you're not supposed to have doubts and you've got to be careful. And you described in the book, you know, which... I'm sure Peter and I have both been a part of these kind of conversations where people are saying, oh, but you can't say that, surely. You know, we can say it here where it's safe, but we can't say that from the pulpit, you know. And um, that you know, that sort of runs totally contrary to what you're just saying, that the questions are where it's happening. And if we are actually going to be leaders in a sacramental community, we should be at the epicentre of, of, of generating questions, of communicating doubt and unknowing. And, I mean, I'm very grateful, as many of our listeners know too, to Peter for... I was um, when I, I came from a, from traditions where it was very much you can't say certain things you can't um, there's stuff that you say uh, outside to your mates but that's just got to stay there because that's too dangerous in some way to say it out loud in church um, and when I first got to the cathedral um, I'd have these conversations with Peter and then I'd get up and preach and Peter said to me you're self-editing <laughs> and I went well yeah don't we that's what we do and he said just stop it <laughs> really and I went you, you serious just stop it <laughs> and so it was what was it like liberating. what was it like to be told that Oh, it was incredibly liberating. And suddenly, you know, you, you suddenly the church can become the epicenter of that gospel freedom, which before you'd only just kind of felt we were just touching on, but it was controlled. And suddenly you're just allowed to just be and let the spirit do what the spirit does because we're just part of it instead of trying to hold together some kind of infrastructure of certainty. Infrastructure of certainty. <laughs> Thank you, Sue. That's going to make it in somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you another non-chapter. Yes, <laughs> yes. <You> another non, <laughs> another non-chapter. <laughs> I mean, this this all ties back to the. There's a beautiful image you use in the the book, Rob, about the the butterfly and this idea that if you um if you pin the butterfly down to analyze it, critique it, you know, um, nail it down in a sense. The butterflies are going to die. The whole aim of this this thing is to fly, um, you know, and and to be alive, to be dynamic, to be open to whatever's happening, and and not to be something that that is concretized or you know something that is is as Sue said, kind of locked into some kind of a certainty. But I, I suppose, do you still find that you're coming up against resistance from people who? Uh, kind of a, a coming to you and saying, well, that's all well and good, but now can you tell me with some sort of certainty what's actually, what am I meant to do? What's actually going on here? I don't know. If you're still asking me those questions, you might not be paying attention. <laughs> 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 I actually, and what was, what I hope, the energetic imprint of the creator is in the creation so in some ways what is baked into the book is the whole thing's in movement you can't pin it down so 
just enjoy the flying. Mm. um, My hope was that people would read the book and pick up that. It's a feeling as much as anything. Like, oh, yeah, we're figuring it out. The universe is figuring itself out. It's okay. Mm. Um, And all the crashes and all the, it's it's all part of it. You know what I mean, Dom? How that's as much a it's as it's as much a feeling that you sense and feel as it is a conceptual truth that you sort of arrive at. Mm. Um, so, so writing the book, I kept the mantra was "What opens the heart? What opens the heart? Don't do fancy Rob Bell. Don't do." I remember typing the sentence. I felt so much shame. And I mean, like, that's not a Rob Bell sentence. It's just like, that's a boring sentence. There's no fireworks. There's no weird twist on it. It's just, I felt so much shame, period. But it was like, no, that's what, that's what you felt. Um, that's all part of it. Mm. So just let it sit there on the page. Don't skate over it. Don't roll your eyes. Don't be ironic about it. Don't then, you know what I mean? Just tell the story in its fullness and trust that the cumulative effect of the story does something. All the mm. stuff you're feeling, doubt, rage, anger, loss, joy, euphoria, peace. Yeah, of course. Welcome. Welcome to the tradition. You know what I mean? And like, like Sue was saying, every person who shows up who's like, sometimes I just want to punch my boss in the face. Well, tell me about your boss. That sounds like something any of us would want to do to your boss. Yeah. Totally normal impulse. <laughs> totally normal. I, you know, I remember when someone, I remember discovering that the Psalms, half the Psalms are laments. They're mm. like loss in print. Where are you? Why do you hide your face from me? They're about the absence more than the presence. I mean, think about how many traditions. If from the beginning they'd said, hey, this whole thing that we're trying to tell you exists, uh, half the time you're probably going to experience a sense of absence. And that's all part of it as well. You know, Mm. uh, uh, Ken, I'll say a first name, you know, Ken. um, Ken Wilber talks about religion as being the only body devoted to elevating consciousness, to moving people along. But just that alone with consciousness all these things that you're experiencing are completely normal. So just own it. Yeah. I mean, that does more for the coaxing of consciousness forward than almost anything. You're a human being. You're having a human experience. So stop denying it or wondering what's wrong. Mm. Mm. You know what I mean? You feel alone? Well, you're yeah. on a ball of rock hurtling through space at 67,000 miles an hour. I can see how you'd feel alone from time to time. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, this is all normal. When I was reading your book, um, one of my favourite poems came to mind, a poem by R.S. Thomas called The Absence, which describes God as, he says, uh, it's like it's an absence like a presence that compels me to address it. It's like a room that someone has just left or a vestibule waiting for the arrival of someone to come. It's a amazing wow. poem. Mm. Oh. I love it. I love it. I love when Moses wants to see God and God is like hiding the side of the rock and you yeah. can see where I just was. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. 
there's form and there's formlessness and then there's the source of both yeah which exists beyond even those yeah i love that like a vestibule or a room where someone just left yeah Yeah. so so when when you i mean because it's one thing I guess that we all in these moments can, can sit and, and agree so wholeheartedly. But when you enter these dark nights of the soul in your own life, Rob, you know, you, as part of the journey, part of the, the experience, do you find that you're able to catch yourself now at this, you know, at this stage and go, oh, yeah, that's right. It's all part of it. Or or do you have an hour or two where you, you go off for another, you know, maybe 10 well, to use Australian terms, 10 kilometers, 10 miles down the road. And then you catch yourself and go, oh, that's right. It's all part of it coming back now. How do you find <laughs> you, do you catch yourself quicker? Yeah. 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 I think you build musculature, but that doesn't mean it goes away. It just means you shift quicker into the observer of it. Yeah. Oh, wow. I am like, a, I am in a weird place today. Yeah. I am, my antenna is picking up all kinds of stuff. Kristen and I lately have been talking about antennas. Uh, my anten- I don't know if it's my thing, my antenna's picking up or the thing in the air, but I am, I am down. There's a cloud. I'm spinning. There's a strange... Yeah, so you do get quicker. You get quicker at being able to witness to it, but that doesn't mean that suddenly everything goes away. You're just now in a better place because you, you see it. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm experiencing some serious let down vulnerability hangover funk name it however you want to name it um i'm sad and i can't figure out why okay okay i wonder what that is relax take it easy on yourself yeah yeah that's very real i actually have it happens more now because i'm more alive and less likely to deny repress mm. if you're familiar with the enneagram i'm a seven with a seven wing <laughs> i can I come from a long line of people who were world-class at we can, where's the party? If you tell me the place is on fire, I will just say, great barbecue. You know what I mean? I can. So for me, slowing down and actually feeling it has been the path. Mm. Um, And that has opened up all just worlds of new. And I remember saying a couple, that's probably, when I first discovered this saying to Kristen, I mean, I don't feel like changing the world today. And she said, welcome to how most of us feel <laughs> most of the time. But that was like a, a new idea to me. Just keep going and just be loud and just be positive and then just keep pushing it down and then it'll come up in all these other weird ways. But um, I'm much more likely now just to, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sad. Feeling a little lost. Mm. Angry about that. There it is. You learn to see it almost like, look, there it goes. Uh, yeah. It came. Here it is. It'll pass. Yeah. Uh, my consciousness is having an interesting experience watching this pass through the lens. Yeah. And there's, there's, I guess there's a freedom to be just honest about it. And I think that's what a lot of people have always felt compelled by your work in a sense uh is this this ability to finally be honest we started a, a group a few of us in brisbane um i think it was the start of this year late last year of people who'd come from all these different areas of the faith tradition 
um, that maybe hadn't been particularly helpful. And as we went around the room, we would there was people starting to describe your work as like a gateway drug to freedom and authenticity. <laughs> and <laughs> there was these people who'd say, I was here and then I encountered this. And as I heard that or read that, I thought, oh, maybe I can actually be honest. Maybe we're allowed yeah. to say, yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah. I don't have the answer today. Maybe we're allowed to say, I have no idea what's going on. And I... I thought or I hoped that at this stage of my life, I imagined at this stage of my life, I wouldn't be struggling with this, but here I am and I am struggling with it and I'm just going to start there. I'm just going to start with that point. So that ability to have the freedom and the, the, the space to just be completely vulnerably honest about it, it's, uh, I mean, it's funny because in some senses, it's the antithesis of so much of, of the culture we, we find ourselves in. Um, you know, not wanting to go on, on about social media in a sense, but that, that sense of the perfection of projection and all those sorts of ideas, there is this, <laughs> this sense where very rarely do you see on your Instagram feed, someone posting a picture saying home lonely again tonight, or, you know, posting a picture of really unhappy with how I look today. It's, it's always this, this kind right. of sense where we don't have the, the space to be really honest. So, so how do we create, cultivate those spaces? That's a really that's a that's a really that's a good idea. Imagine if people started in putting things on Instagram like I posted this picture, I got this many likes and it felt good for a minute, but now <laughs> I like strangely in a darker hole than ever. Well, think about any any workplace, family system, relationship, marriage, culture, anytime you have a list of things we can talk about and a list of things we can't, things we can say, questions we can ask, questions we can't ask. Anytime you have two columns, the column of things you can't talk about or question is running the show. <laughs> it, it, it's the rudder. It's, it's steering the ship, whether you can see it or not. So the first practical thing is to head it, whether it's yourself or any system, just, just name the two columns. And now, mm. now, you, now you can map the territory um, because the things that can't be talked about always haunt the place and end up with their hand on the steering wheel anyway. Yep, absolutely. And that's, could I just chuck in an Australian context there on that one? Because we've talked before about how for Aboriginal people in this country, we haven't been good at telling the truth about um, colonisation, about what was done to Aboriginal people. And so it can be certainly in the public sphere, in many quarters, what you can't talk about. And yet it is definitely running the show. It's the haunted nature of Australia until we can really be honest um, and uh, like so that happens not just at an individual level but it can happen at a as a societal level as well yeah I, I mean American culture we can't relate <laughs> <laughs> I mean American culture the same uh, uh, and that shouldn't even be a joke that because it's so painful but the exact same thing there's like a re a shockingly recent history of such violence and wound that until the it's completely talked about and the wound is cleaned out it just haunts the whole system it's yeah. it's ever it's a it's omnipresent mm. you know i'm a, a midnight oil fan uh, that was what i was gonna yeah. say yes <laughs> so i mean let's just state that just as an act of mm -hmm. honoring your fine nation yes. but i mean when i was 18 19 and heard beds are burning and we're like, what are these people passionately singing about? Um, I, I remember going down the trail of understanding your history and 
learning about oh yeah this like ever like everywhere else it doesn't get talked about and it it's there doesn't go away and I love your description in the book of Midnight Oil that you said they're like fighting for a cause with joy and like defiance oh. and euphoria together. And I think that's if we're going to talk about the new things the spirit is doing and what's emerging, if we can actually approach justice like that to fighting for a cause with joy, it doesn't have to, you know, I think that could be the engine room of change, really. Right, right. Because there's something when it gets too heavy, it weirdly works against what it's trying to do. There's something, there's something woo, wooing and seductive about somebody who's given themselves to a cause that you get pulled in almost despite your defenses. Yeah. You, you just know that thing they're doing there matters because of how they're present in it. You can't help but be drawn into it. I completely agree with you. I suppose speaking about, you know, the, these sorts of things and, um, you know, obviously in 2020, it's it's pretty clear that the struggles that we have globally and some of these cracks are starting to show maybe a little more viscerally than they had before. Um, you know, things that, that we were able to paper over a little bit more easily um, a year ago, uh, uh, feeling a bit more exposed. And I know there is this this growing sense, this growing sentiment amongst many that maybe the whole world is a bit too broken. The cracks are a bit too wide and they're just getting wider the divisions are just growing deeper. We're just heading further and further down into something. And and I know that, that through the book, through your work, the question you're always asking is, is where are we going? This whole thing's leading somewhere. You know, it, it's hard not to feel at the moment some days, like the place this is all leading is pretty bad. And, and you know, moving away from redemption and unity. What's the tonic to that feeling? When you have those moments where you think the whole thing's too broken and it's just getting more broken. And, you know, I'm, I'm so mindful of the context you're in in America, not just with how the pandemic's been for you guys on a very different level to what you, we've had here in Australia, but the the whole situation this year uh, around race and how that's, uh, you know, been enormously, enormously um, painful for, for the country and for so many over there. And then, you you know, as we sit here recording, you're a few weeks away from an election where anything could happen, you know, and, and I'm sure yeah. you're, you're confronting that reality every single day. So I'm just curious when Good you feel Lord. that sense that, that this thing is just getting worse or the cracks are getting too big and, and it feels like there's no way back or no, maybe not no way back, but no way to heal this. What's the tonic to that? I guess that, that sentiment, that sense. We're confronting that reality one tweet at a time, <laughs> one presidential tweet at a time well what's interesting when someone says that is that's the gift of history mm. like this is new but it's not new so, so part of that part of that question actually is rooted in in what would technically be called ignorance the idea that somehow we're facing some existential crises that other people haven't at different periods of history do you know what i mean so i so i begin with this is new but not new and that's an important paradox to keep in play. Um, but I actually go to the word apocalypse. For many people, like the street, like eight, the looting came eight houses from our house. Mm. So like the streets, right, the shops right out there, most of them are boarded up. And the National Guard was right there, eight houses away. Uh, and people talk about it being apocalyptic. But the word, as you all know, the word apocalypse means a revealing or a disclosure. 
So apocalypse isn't an end. Mm. Apocalypse is truth. Mm. Uh, it is the present being laid bare so everybody can see what actually is. So my, my wife Kristen and I talk about apocalyptic hope. It's painful, bloody, maybe violent, and yet it's getting you closer to what's been present the whole time. Trace often talks about the great unmasking. Yeah. Like in, in America, there is a political party that for years has worked against registering people to vote because when more people vote they tend to lose yeah. mm. um now they're just being publicly honest about it yeah. it's a horrible thing to hear them be publicly honest about but dear god now it's at least out in the open yeah so don to to your question about the tonic um man rip the band-aid all the way off yeah. i know it's brutal and i know it creates extraordinary anxiety and claustrophobia and anger and rage but this thing isn't working mm. like you said it's been papered over yeah um yeah i mean i love the book of revelation the word it's the book of apocalypse yeah. it's mm. this empire this global military superpower of the first century john is laying it bare so you can see what really animates it. Mm -hmm. So at least then we can see what we're doing here. Yeah. So it's all about truth telling. Yes. Right. So yeah. I read it apocalyptically, yeah. which inevitably brings you to hope. But yeah. it's not a cheap hope. No. It's not like a it's not like a Sunday hope that skipped Friday. Yeah. It's like it's a real hope. We keep talking about living holy Saturday. You gotta be in that space. Yes, and, and, and for U.S., you know, whenever I think of the um, "Make America Great Again," I counter that with Langston Hughes's poem "Let America Be America," you know, where he he recites how America has never been America to the to the African American, to the Indian, to the to the immigrant, and it's all it's all just a lie, and it'd be great if you could live. If you if you could actually achieve the vision, but you actually have to, you actually have to attend to the story that you've neglected over years. And so there's there's I don't think there is I think seeking a tonic is you know that that's the drug that's the drug therapy route. Whereas um, <laughs> truth telling and, and unmasking is the only way we get to yes. be our true selves. Just which is true. And it goes back to the point Sue made. You know, Australia will not be what it thinks it is until it actually tells the truth about how it got to be where it is. And then it won't be what it thinks it is because it will be actually something more authentic and genuine and better. Now, we, we actually think we're an egalitarian society and it's the greatest lie on the planet after the American lie. Thank you. Ours is only second because we're smaller. But, you know, <laughs> you know, our, our, the, the lies we tell ourselves in this country are just as substantial as the lies that your country tells itself. And, yeah. and in the end, it's just destroying who we are. You know, we talk about being yeah. egalitarian, and yet the gap between rich and poor continues to increase like you we have politicians who are now nakedly um 
allocating money in ways that are towards their friends or gets them gets them votes and they they basically ride roughshod over any account any call to accountability at the same time as talking about what a great nation we are and you know our treatment of refugees is appalling and we call ourselves a welcoming country i mean we just lie to ourselves constantly and it's only when the truth comes out and we have the apocalypse that um we'll have any chance of being anything like we want to be man you're a priest i love it (laughs) (laughs) yes yes thank you thank you you know peter what you were just saying this democratic free market capitalist ideology this setup presented itself like an arrangement like a setup better than other ways you could arrange yourself but it's actually a trajectory so it often presented itself as a plateau you just set this up and then the thing works like this but it actually had an arc built into Mm. it it actually went somewhere yeah and we're finding out where that where that goes absolutely and it's about disenfranchising people and yeah and and um, money looking after money and power looking after power yeah 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 and then it's like a snowball rolling down a hill it actually where it it naturally begins to tilt yeah in favor of a of a certain group and that means it's the duality is actually very real it then moves away from the other group and that we've actually been living in a story not a way of governing versus another way of governing yeah Yeah, and the story is a lie and that's the you know in which way which is what makes it truly diabolical because it's anesthetizing the people with lies. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Well said. There's this uh, part of your book, Rob, as we, we move towards wrapping up here that, that kind of covers everything we've spoken about on the personal, political, um, social level, which is an amazing quote. I want to, this is, um, I have a joke with, a friend of mine about if you were going to get a tattoo, we're not really tattoo people, but if you were going to, what would be, what, what would be good enough to be, to think, yeah, I'll have that on my skin for the rest of my life. I'm happy to commit to that. I reckon this comes pretty close, which is uh, when you write that I gradually begin to see that the whole thing is rigged in favor of our growth. The universe has been expanding for 13 billion years and it never stops inviting us to expand right along with it. Everything that comes our way then is another invitation to grow. The yes responses, the no responses, the meltdowns, the injustices, the wrongs, all of it, success, failure, acceptance, rejection. There's something lurking in all of it, an invitation in all of it. The universe is rigged in favor of our growth. I love that idea. The universe is rigged in favor of our growth. And I suppose maybe that's the, is that the, the optimism then? That's the optimistic viewpoint that can look at, at what we are in in 2020 and not give a hope that's just, uh, oh, but if we, you know, look the other way, uh, you know, or just if we stay indoors long enough, maybe what will happen outdoors will solve itself. <laughs> but actually realizing that that wherever we are at any time, including this place, <laughs> is an invitation to grow. Well, first off, that's one long tattoo. It's <laughs> <laughs> his whole back. I, mean, I don't know what part of your body. That's a lot of ink. Just the last bit. I'll just go the last you're, bit. <laughs> you're laying there on your little... You're laying there on that bed for a couple of days at least <laughs> in the chair. Yeah. Here, here, the interesting thing, 
the problem with optimism is it is over and against pessimism. And what I was trying to do there is help you see the thing that they're both sitting on top of, the mm. thing that's upper and around. Like, because some days you're optimistic, some days you're pet. Um, um, I'm tr I, I'm trying to blur those to move people from thinking that these are the two options to there's this thing happening in all of it. Mm. Um, that in a, in a I mean, sometimes sometimes yeah. pessimism might be your friend. Yeah. Like, hey, that thing right there has burned me before. Mm -hmm. So, and that thing actually promises something. Like Peter said, that thing's a lie, man. It's just one more commercial selling me something, telling me it'll fill that hole in my chest. So, um, I tend to think spirit can can work fine in all of them. Um, it's a little, it's a little less clear and a little more clear all at the same time. So, mm. yeah, I think that's actually what's happening there. And I like rigged that word. I don't know. I just like uh, it's got a little. It has a nice punch to it. Yeah, it helps me. Mm. You know what I mean? Because like, there's no guarantee it will turn out well. Yeah, we, we could. You know, we, we've just had the International Day of Peace, and we were reminded on that day that that we still have thousands of nuclear weapons on a hair trigger. And, oh. You know, the, the right. shadow that I've been living under for most of my life is still there and we could wake up dead one day, you know, the whole whole planet wake up dead to our own hand. Um, so, yeah, I, I tend to um, side with Rowan Williams who talks about that he's not optimistic but he's hopeful. Yes, different categories, yes. Yeah, and so wow. we, we keep working because we're hopeful but he can see enough of enough going wrong so and he, his focus is climate but uh that sense that he thinks we're still going to stuff it up uh, we don't but he's going to be hopeful anyway and and the hope is the thing that helps him to persevere rather than the optimism because he's actually not yes yeah. yes mm. i have often said to people hope and optimism <laughs> optimism and pessimism no i got owned mm. by a sort of hope much earlier because i saw when I started out as a pastor right away, I saw so many people go through such hardship and suffering and yet survive and become bigger, wider, more expansive that it just made me question the whole thing. Like, oh, all the stuff that apparently wrecks you, actually these people counterintuitively became more compassionate, stronger, fiercer. Yeah. So are things going well? Are they not winning, losing, good, bad, those category they're real but they got blown to pieces because i just kept noticing something else was happening in them something mm. really interesting and hard to explain yeah yeah so uh, rob maybe as a way of closing then you know a, a, a question i guess that a lot of people who've moved through maybe different faith traditions have is you know what is if we if we use the phrase that humans have used for a fair while in different ways the good news everyone's after good news you know what is the good news of being alive in a sense um because we're all aware of, of what the bad news is uh, often at least and certainly um you know the good news we've often been sold by different religious traditions has turned out to be bad news or cruel news or you know irrelevant news Maybe not even news at all, to be honest. <laughs> but so, so, so at a foundational, just human level, from what you see it, from how you see it, from what you believe, what is the, the good news of being alive, of being a human? 
there's this great moment in the story that Jesus tells where this older brother is just furious that the father has welcomed home his brother who in asking for his share of the inheritance has actually diminished the inheritance of the older brother. So it's just cost him something. And now the father's throwing a party and the older brother is furious because he's like, he never even gave me a goat, which is a very scarce bit of meat. So even his idea of celebrating is impoverished. He tells you a whole bunch about himself. I mean, how dare you welcome your brother? How come you never gave me a party? And the father says, man, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And of all the words Jesus could put on the lips of the father, and it's a first century Mediterranean, Mediterranean patriarchal story. I get it. Nevertheless, talk about a way of seeing the world. Mm. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. Doesn't mean it's not going to be heartbreaking. Doesn't mean that there won't be struggle. It doesn't mean that blood is actually coursing through your veins. And if you get cut, it actually flows down your arm. But you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. Uh, that's There's a good news in that. There's a poetry to that. That is a good news better than a list of propositions about atonement or transaction or if you just believe these things then or a doctrine or a catechism there's a poetry in that line mm. that to me is good news you've always belonged you've always been enough you've always been worthy those were never the questions we were never playing that game you know what i mean yeah yeah they all they all show up at different times to the vineyard and they all get paid the same amount it doesn't make sense. We were never playing that game. You can't divide the infinite. It's like, blessed is the one who's in on the joke. You know? Yeah. 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 And I'm answering your question with a series of non sequiturs and circular reasoning on purpose. Yeah. Because of this sort of forensic gospel that became a contest to see who could fit it in 140 characters. Um, when even the original text never tried to do that just keeps looping back to stories and letters and experiences and chants and robes and quantum physics and the mystery of consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to keep making the question more open-ended and more like a kite flying around <laughs> in the sky. Cause I think that's the only way to answer a question like that. Well, that's, that's what we called this podcast when we started it, the On The Way podcast, because we were determined to never get there, to never reach the destination. <laughs> well, you've succeeded. <laughs> well done. Well, hopefully, I didn't, hopefully I didn't in any way help you reach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Rob. This has been a, a real pleasure, a real, um, a real honor to, to share an hour with you. We really appreciate you making time. The book is Everything is Spiritual. You can, uh, you can find it online uh, or in bookstores at the moment, Rob. Uh, thank you so much. Oh, man. Well, Dom and, and Peter and Sue, uh, I, I love doing these interviews like this where I get to meet people like you because I feel like we've been walking down the same road. We just suddenly were like, hey, wait, have you guys been walking? And we get to talk for a while and walk along. 
yeah. as we go nowhere. It's quite lovely. <laughs> so thank you so much. It's a great privilege. Yeah. Thank you so thank much. You guys. Thank you guys. Thank you for having me It's a ton of fun. Thank you so much, Trace. Thank you, Rolf. Yeah. Bye-bye. I'll see you on your soil next.